writing to an entire church, but he, he doesn't know that he's writing to the church of all time. You know what I mean? He doesn't know that we're going to be reading it way later, and so he writes some real familiar things and writes of, of how he thinks things are going to play out and how, how his life is going to take turns and all of this, like you would write or talk to, to a friend. And so I just think that's important to keep remembering in here. Now these verses have a ton to say, and again, I'm just going to try to highlight one or two things. This week we don't have uh, our resource page up yet because I had a little bit of stuff happening, so that'll be up this week uh, during the week, and the resource page is on how did the first century understand what happens when we die? Um, Because we have just a whole lot of our own beliefs now, right? On, on what happens in all this way, but I think sometimes it's helpful to zoom back, and then you can do some work to, to work from there. But how did Paul and Paul's world, uh, how was it talked about in the gospel, all, all of those kinds of things, okay? So we're going to begin with this phrase. In the NIV, it says, I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. In the NRSV, it says, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way. I remember the idea of shame and being unashamed. Uh, I remember finding out about this when I was in high school. It was when I was in that youth group that I was in where we had these really meaningful moments and eventually the youth pastor left to be a professional wrestler. I've told you guys about that. Well, one of these meaningful moments that I had was when this professional wrestler talked to us about how Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Now, when, when he mentioned this, he didn't really talk about what Paul meant, and, and we didn't really hear what anybody older than us thought. It was just us like ninth and 10th graders trying to figure out what it meant to be unashamed. And I remember one of my friends was like, you know what, I got this Christian t-shirt for my uh, confirmation, and I'm going to go to school in my Christian t-shirt. And we're like, you are? He's like, yeah. And I'm not even going to be embarrassed. And I remember someone else was like, you know what? I pick up three people who swear. And I picked them up on the way to school. And I'm going to play my Christian CDs. And it was like, it was probably like, I don't know, Caveman's Call or Third Day or Supertones. I don't know who it was. But he was like, that's going to really, that's going to make them not cuss. (laughs) And we were like, whoa, this is revolutionary stuff. And I remember for me, I was like, you know what? I have a study hall where I have never done anything. And I have that and Power Volleyball 1 and Power Volleyball 2. I should do something with my life. (laughs) (laughs) And so I decided that I was going to go into the library, which I had never really been in. And I went into the library and I brought my Bible and I sat in the middle of the library and I read my Bible. And I remember this is me being unashamed because I want people to know. And, and I was reading the Bible at home. I was really interested in Jesus. But we really thought this unashamed thing equated to being not embarrassed. That's how we took it. I am not embarrassed that I'm a Christian. So I'm going to wear an embarrassingly designed t-shirt. Or I'm going to do something like that. But like I am not going to be embarrassed. And if we're honest, being embarrassed is still a big deal. I'm 43. It's still a big deal. If you asked me in November, I would have said it's not a big deal. This last month, I would tell you it is a big deal 
when I've been walking around and people wonder what happened to my face, I realize, oh, I still get embarrassed. I still get embarrassed when people are afraid of me or when people wonder or when, when uh, p- people think I'm much tougher than I am because <laughs> my face has been remodeled. Or, or things like when people don't know how awesome Anna is and she'll yell out and someone will think she's like not behaved and like, well, none of us are behaved. She's also got some awesome needs and challenges that are different. And I don't want to be embarrassed. But we deal with that, right? Uh, the, the one day that it was icy this year, I had one of those epic like things where you nearly hurt your back catching yourself. And I was semi-proud of myself that I didn't fall. And then semi like should have gone into the hospital because it hurt so bad not falling. Yeah. And I was like, who's watching? And I kind of hope someone watched because it had to be awesome. And I kind of hope nobody did, because that would be really embarrassing. We deal with embarrassment, and that's okay. We don't want to be embarrassed. And really what that means is we, don't, we want to just blend in, right? And we would never say that we actually want to blend in, but that's kind of what we would want. We just we don't want to really stand out and, and in any embarrassing type of way. And I remember in... In high school, this idea that I am not embarrassed of Jesus was a really big deal. And it really mattered for me. And to this day, I'm not embarrassed of my faith. And that was a really big deal, but I don't think that has anything to do with what Paul is talking about. It can be really helpful for us to walk through that, but Paul is not talking about being embarrassed. He's talking about something much deeper. And I started to even realize that in my, my own life. Like, I, I left high school in that library in Power Volleyball 1 and 2, and I went on to college, and I met this girl, and I started being a pastor, and we started to make decisions in our life that were based on the idea that Jesus was love, and we want to live into that. And then all of a sudden, we started wondering if those decisions were going to pay off. People thought we were crazy and made the wrong call, and then we were like, oh, I don't want to make the wrong call. Partially because I don't want to be embarrassed, but also partially because I, I believe Jesus. And I think we're supposed to live by love. We didn't want to be put to shame. We didn't want to find out that everything was just a hoax and it was just a fairy tale. We wanted to believe Jesus was really Jesus, and we had to make decisions if we were going to keep going or just be ashamed. I think that's a little closer to what Paul means here. Paul is writing from prison. He's charged with treason. He's, He's in a situation where he either gets to go free, which he writes what he believes will happen, or he will be killed. That's the situation. He's either going to go free and be able to go back to his friends or he is going to be killed by the government. Live or die. And he faces this with his words and and says, I'm not ashamed. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in any way. In any way means if I die, I believe I will not be put to shame. And if I live, I believe I will not be put to shame. That. That's a big statement. In a letter that is largely understood to be written as his last book, Paul writes in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
is the power of God for salvation in everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. By this point, he's in Rome awaiting his death. By this point, this is what is happening, and he's writing kind of his goodbyes to his friends all over. And as he looks back on his life, he looks at the, the, the moments of trouble and the moments of, of grace and power. He looks back as a church planner, apostle, friend, and he's evaluating everything. He has said that he's been shipwrecked, that he's, he's been beaten, and yet he doesn't feel ashamed, abandoned, or tricked by any of this. He looks back and he says, I am not ashamed. Everything that I believed has worked out. Maybe not in the circumstances and situations that I thought, but the Jesus that I believed in, the Jesus that called me on the road, that knocked me on my butt, is much more now than that day. It's much more profound and powerful. Everything has been worth it. And that makes me wonder, what is so different about how Paul understands faith from how we often do. Because at this point in his life, with all that opposition, he's not ashamed. Jesus is really worth it. Now this is, this is the part that we face, right? Where things don't work the way that we think they should. This world, our lives, they don't necessarily look like the artwork of this loving God all of the time. And yet we gather together. We gather on Sundays. We pray throughout the week. We sing songs that, that are meaningful and rich, that point to what we aspire for our lives to be like and what we have moments of experiencing, it's especially that last one we just sang, Wonder. That's one of my favorite songs. When we look back and wonder at how faithful God has been, and yet at other moments, we ponder and, and it feels a little different. In all of this, we seek, we believe. And if we're honest, a lot of us sometimes wonder if we'll be put to shame in this. If there's some of our belief that is inappropriate, or some of our belief that is not really in Jesus, it's something adjacent to Jesus, or it's something that we were taught it was a little overly simple. We wonder if it's worth it. For Paul, it was. Not because Paul was superpowered. Not because Paul was profound in ways that you're not. For Paul, it was worth it because Jesus is worth it. There's something different to following Jesus. Unlike everything else, Jesus has this ongoing, simple invitation to you and to me and to everyone that he encountered in the Gospels. He says, Come. He says, follow me. He says, sit with me. He said these things and people left their lives. Fishermen left their businesses. Sisters and brothers left all of the, the comforts of home. Tax collectors. Second generations of people followed after hearing the life change that happened in the, in the people who first followed Jesus. People encountered Peter later. And we're like, hey, I heard about young Peter, and you are not young Peter. And then Peter would tell of his encounters to Jesus to somebody like Luke, and Luke would be profoundly changed, leave, leave his work as a doctor, and go and pursue 
who this Jesus is, and then generation after generation after generation, and here we find ourselves here. Marked by this transformative invitation to come, follow me, sit with me, be transformed. By these experiences of God's presence. The same happens now. The same is happening here in our lives. Where our circumstances might be one way, but our experience of God is another, and we experience a peace or a hope or a joy that doesn't make sense outside of who Jesus is. If we're honest, we've been transformed. We're not the same. And Paul knew that as well in his life. I think that's why he writes this in Philippians. He says, for to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. We all have to choose what we live for, right? And we, we use the phrase a lot. We might say something like, I'm, I, I live for this weather. Not on Friday, we don't say that, but on like last Wednesday when it was 80 and, and not humid. Like, oh, I live for days like this. We say, I live for the weekend. I live for the summers or vacation or time with family or friends. I, I live for a moment of quiet, a moment of peace, for a good meal, for good news, for a good doctor's report, for a job. I live for my kids or my grandkids or a meal from HL, one of these things. We say it often and we mean it often. When we wake up, there are things that we live for. Sometimes they're really negative things. I, I live for this next high. I live for a drink. I live for an escape. Sometimes they're, they're culturally okay, but they have negative effects. I live for just making more because I've never felt I have enough. I can't trust I have enough. I live for proving those people wrong because I'm more than what they say that I am. And all these things that we live for, we, we try them on and, and in combinations even. And what, what we find is that they're lacking. They don't satisfy. Even if we live for our, our kids, even if we live for our spouse, if we have one, that, that's not satisfying. It's not enough because there's more weight and glory in your life that others cannot carry alone. There's more to you that they can't hold on their own. But Jesus, Jesus is different. Jesus says he brings life, life to the full. That's what he came for. He is comfort. He is hope. He's the one who brings that overflowing joy that we felt at times. And that Paul writes about all, all throughout this letter, even in prison, even facing death, even in choosing death. Now, this way that Paul's saying that to die is better, that's a very, it's very Greek of him. We, we, we know of Plato talking about Socrates sitting with the cup of hemlock and toying around with the, the idea of, of this uh, unspeakable gain of death, right? And we have read poets and musicians who, who are just sort of depressing. I like all of them. And, and they, they just kind of live in this minor key that's somber and a little bit sad. Daniel McGlure writes that Paul is not weary of life. He's not burnt out. 
and ready to end it all as soon as possible. Death for Paul is gain because it will still bring still deeper union with Christ that he enjoys at the present. See, this is really important for us to get. When he says that to die is gain, he is not saying that the circumstances of life are so much that they're choking him out. Paul is not depressed at this moment. And I don't say that like with any snarkiness. Depression is real. Mental battles are real. I've had them. Many in this room have had that. If you are in that situation, we need to find help. And there is help. There's some professionals in this room that I can introduce you to. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about an escape. What Paul is talking about here is not the removal of things. He's talking about an addition that in his life he gets to live with more and more of Christ each day. And as that happens, the idea of death does not mean a removal of Christ. It just means even more of Christ. It's addition. The source of joy, life, and hope is who we get consumed with. And then as death comes near, we know that it does not separate us from the love of Jesus. We only know this love even more. That's what he's saying. And so as I live, I live for Christ. Day after day after day. And if my life ends, it's better for me. Not because I'm trying to escape, but because then all of this I am slowly gaining, I gain at once. I I get the fullness of who Christ is. He goes on beautifully and writes about how he wants to live for his friends. Because it's better for them if he's with them in this way that he can live generously and giving towards, towards them, and yet for himself, it, it would be easier to be with Christ. But as we close, I want to give you a few moments to reflect here. Often the very reason that we are not living for Christ is because that is the same place where we feel that we would be put to shame. If there's a part of us that is not surrendered over to Jesus, it's because we're afraid that if we surrender it, then something will happen that will leave us embarrassed or without or lacking. And so we just hold that part back. And then we go down the road a month or two more and we hold that part back. And we hold that part back and then slowly we find ourselves living for Christ on Sunday morning in, in in the time we're driving in the car that we remember to put on that record that we like, in our devotional time, in our small groups, before meal, these tiny little pockets of time. And I'm not, I'm not heaping guilt at all. What I'm saying is Jesus came that we would have more. We're robbing ourselves. And so we're going to take just a minute. Matt, if you don't mind coming up and and, and strumming a little bit. He's, he's going to strum a bit. And I want you to think for a minute of the times that you felt that you might be let, left down or left exposed or wanting. Of the times that you've taken part of yourself back from God. Maybe it was a time where you needed to admit to God, hey, I feel betrayed or I feel let down. But instead of saying that, you just shut down. 
Maybe it was a time you felt scared, but you didn't think you could feel scared, so you just withdrew and took it on yourself. You know, a, a, a month, five weeks ago, I would have told you that I'm, I don't need to take things into my own hands. I don't try to just do it on my own. And then I went through a couple surgeries, and I had a family really trying to help me every single day. And I, I shut them out sometimes. And not because of them, but because of stuff I hadn't dealt with. Where I felt like I had to do it on my own, and I had to muster up the strength on my own, and all this kind of stuff. And I've had to reflect and be like, no, I'm not on my own. I'm, I was, but I'm not. And it's time to live into that truth. You may have been on your own. It might, have been, it might have felt like it was just you, or it might have been just you and Jesus. And that strength within you brought you thus far, but you're in this room, and so by being in this room, you don't have to be alone anymore. You, you can, but you don't have to be. You don't have to have your guard up where it once was. You don't have to protect yourself in the ways you once did. In those areas that you were wondering if God would let you down or God would meet you, I want to invite you to open them back up. You see, the invitation that we have is to live consistent, whole, and all in with God, knowing that we will not be put to shame. So we're going to take a few minutes to look in. Maybe ask God to look with us. Where are we holding back? Is there anywhere that we want to live more open to God? Even if we don't know how in this moment, we can say, we can say it in prayer. We can say it to someone who's near. So just take a couple minutes. And Pastor Rob's going to come forward. And he's going to lead us in, in communion as we close out the service. But let's just let God look within us. I'm going to say a short prayer and we'll do just that. God, I thank you that, that you bring meaning everywhere, that you don't put us to shame. I thank you that you invite us into the fullness of life today, the rest of the days that we breathe, and even into death. And so the consistency of you is something we can trust. So now, in some real profound ways, would you search us and know us? Would you help us see ourselves? Amen.
as you are reflecting from the uh, from the message that Matt just preached.